Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we justify our record-collecting obsession with research and trivia. I'm Joe. I'm Ryan. And today we have a very special episode because we have our first guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. My name is Maria. And Maria, um, among being many other things, is also married to me. (laughs) And uh, she's going to present on a topic that she's been researching uh, and she suggested it for the show, and then Joe and I kind of talked. We're like, well, why don't we go ahead and just let her do it, because she'd probably do it way better than I would do it. So we're going to get to that in a minute. But first, we'd like to start with a little bit of trivia. All right, I'm going to go ahead and go first with the the first of three trivia rounds for this episode. This one is a non-audio round, and it's called, Hey, John Darnielle, where are you going? <laughs> I'm going to name, give you the name of a song that starts with going to, and you're going to tell me whether it is actually a Mountain Goat song or not. I was totally going to give you a quiz like this. It was gonna, I was going to name some lyrics, and you had to tell me where John Darnielle was going. <laughs> but I thought that would be too easy for you. <laughs> <laughs> it would not have been easy for me at all. Okay. Uh, okay. So I've got I've got a bunch of these. All right. Let's do it. We're gonna go quick. Whichever one of you. Uh, how do you want to do this? Are we gonna have you guys shout it out? Like who's first? Do you have a buzzer? What do we have? <laughs> uh, we don't have a buzzer. I say we just shout it out. Okay. 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 Argentina. No. 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 Buffalo. Yes. <laughs> no. Oh. Okay. What is it? I say no. I say yes. Maria wins. Oh. Mm. How about going to going to Kyoto? Yes. Mm, no. No. Maria's way up on you. She should be hosting a podcast. <laughs> Probably so. Going going to Cleveland. No. Yes. Yes again. Maria's right. God. Going to Burger King. No. 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 I'm not even listening to Ryan anymore. Going to Dayton. <laughs> Yes. yes. No. Oh. Going to going to France. No. No. Yes. Ah. Uh. He does not have a song called "Going to France." <laughs> You're just making this up. <laughs> I'm not making it up. I can even I find the album. Uh, tower it's in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? That's John Darnielle. It's a spot-on impression. That was pretty good. Going to Istanbul. Yes. No. No. Oh. Yes. Going to Japan. Yes. 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 Going to Kansas. Yes. No. Yes. Dang. Going to Liechtenstein. Yes. Yes. No. Going to Mexico. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Going to Palestine. <laughs> no. No. I'll go no too. It's yes. Going to going to Rochester. Yes. Yes. No. Uh. <laughs> you have to go to Rochester to get to Bo- to, to Buffalo. He doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> going to Scotland. Yes. No. Yes. Uh. Going to Seoul. Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> going to Tennessee. Yes. No. Yes. Going to Utah. Yes. No, he doesn't go to Utah. No, he doesn't go to Utah. Uh, Going to Wiesbaden. Sure. No. No, I'm the only one that's been to Wiesbaden. (laughs) (laughs) 
Not him. <laughs> going to going to Wisconsin. Yes. No. Yes. And that's the end of my quiz. Twenty. Ten up, ten down. Man, he has written a lot of songs. He's been a lot of places. He's been everywhere. Somebody should do I've Been Everywhere with John Darneo songs. I think his narrators have been everywhere. Maria, would you like to give us an audio quiz? Yes, I would. So, the theme of my quiz is Blind Bluesmen. I have seven, and you have to tell me uh, what their names are. Track one. that are Track two. If my had my way, I would tear this old building down. Track three. I don't walk these blocks a lot. I go buy me some shoes. And that is why Mr. MacTell got the blues. Track four. Was in the spring, one sunny day, my sweetheart left me, Lord, she went away. Track five. Ain't got no mama now. Track six. All right, Joe, you know any of those blind bluesmen? I think I know two or three of them, I think, but that's about it. How about you? I've, I've got at least a couple. I don't know if I have the same ones you do, though. But we'll come back to those at the end of the show. We'll play the clips again, and we'll give you the answers. Uh, this being a, a special supersized quiz, I have another quiz for everybody. Uh, the name of my quiz is Kicking Ass and Tolkien Names. So here's your job. I'm going to read you a name, and your guys' job is to tell me if it's A, metal band, B, a person or a place from the Tolkien Middle Earth universe, or C, both. So, Sirith Ungle. Metal band. Uh, metal band. I don't know. It is a metal band, but it's also a Tolkien thing, so you guys are both wrong. It's a both. Sharbhund. Band. Tolkien. Maria is correct. It is a Tolkien thing. Gorgoroth. Tolkien. Yeah, Tolkien. That is both Tolkien uh, and a band. Okay. All right. Asmagin. Both. Yeah, I was going to say both, too. That is only a metal band. Uh, okay. Roman. Or Min Rimmin. Tolkien. Uh, metal band. It is a Tolkien. Yozion. Both. Oh, metal, metal band. band. Just metal band. It is actually just Tolkien. They are swans. Okay. Hmm. Um, <laughs> big, majestic swans, I think. Burzum. Band? Tolkien. It is, you're both right, because it's both. <laughs> Mythotin. Metal band. Metal band. That is a Viking metal band. Good job. Amon Amarth. 
Both. Tolkien. It is both. Good job, Maria. Mal Morda. <laughs> metal Tolkien. band. It is a Celtic metal band. Featured in The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next one is Gorblegood. Both. That's a Willy Wonka candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's a metal band. That is a Tolkien thing. Okay. All right. I sort of, um, I kind of like that I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> this this is one of those quizzes where really you have to be very specialized to get any any of this right. So, all right, and the last one, Alfinian band. Tolkien. It is a band. It's a Christian metal band. There you go. Hopefully, I educated you a little bit on your uh, Middle Earth lingo or your uh, Norwegian death metal bands. Or maybe a little bit of both. And now it's time for our turntable talk. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. So for turntable talk, I'm going to be talking about Broadside Magazine. Broadside was a topical song magazine that ran from February 1962 to December of 1988. It only had a print run of about 2,500. Uh, That was the highest it ever went and never got above that. But it was really influential to the singer-songwriters of the 1960s. So the the magazine was focused on topical songs that were often political or they're just timely. And it was uh, it was started by uh, Sis Cunningham and her husband Gordon Friesen. Sis Cunningham and and Gordon Friesen they traveled from from Oklahoma to New York City in the early 1940s. And uh, Sis played accordion, and she joined the Almanac Singers, which was a group with Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie. So since they were from Oklahoma, they really hit it off with with Woody Guthrie. And during this time, during the Almanac Singers era, there was this uh, proto-broadside magazine. Uh, It was called the People's Song Bulletin. And it was a it was this newsletter that Pete Seeger put out for his uh, organization. He started a organization that was called a uh, People's Songs. It was short lived, and the the magazine was more like a newsletter for his union with a couple of songs in it. And so it wasn't too too much fun to read. It had like meeting notes and stuff in it. But for about a year, Sis Cunningham, uh, her husband Gordon, Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, among other people, Bess Lomax, who is uh, Alan Lomax's sister, they they all lived together in, in the Almanac House in the Greenwich Village. And during that year, they had this really vibrant culture where they'd have, uh, they would try to raise money for rent with uh, hoot nannies. And so at one of these shows, um, Lead Belly was actually performing. This is New York City in the 40s. And and so Lead Belly played his, <clears throat> his 12 string guitar and uh, Sis Cunningham played her accordion and uh, Lead Belly said that he was the king of the 12 string and Sis was queen of the accordion. So... That's some of her credentials there. So, uh, so this is you know the forties, the war, World War II starts up, and during that time, uh, Gordon worked for the Office of uh, War Information. Fast forward, you know, ten years, it's the McCarthy era, and they ended up eventually being blacklisted 
Sis and Gordon couldn't couldn't find any work, uh, so they would just do odd jobs. And they eventually ended up living in a housing project in New York City called the Frederick Douglass uh, Housing Project. So so while they're there, uh, in the meantime, you know, in the 1950s, you, there is this you know huge huge folk revival going on. The Moash started Folkways in in 1948, and the Harry Smith Anthology was released in 1952. But that 50s folk music, even though it was really commercial, it was kind of this like stifled McCarthy era music that was kind of setting the stage for what was going to happen in, in the 60s. But so so during during this time, uh, Sis Cunningham worked for Pete Seeger, just kind of doing some odd jobs. And one of the jobs that she would do was uh, Pete would dictate his correspondence on a reel-to-reel tape. So he would just record himself and send it to her and she would type it up. One of the people he corresponded with was uh, Malvina Reynolds. So Sis Cunningham is reading the correspondence between Malvina and, and Pete. They were, they were kind of gossiping a little bit about the sing-out folk magazine, which was a pretty large-scale magazine about about folk music in the in the 50s. And Malvina Reynolds thought it should have more protest songs and things like that. And Pete Seeger agreed with her, and Malvina said, well, wouldn't it be great if we started a magazine? And Sis, Sis Cunningham thought this was a great idea, and she kind of talked with them about it, but neither Pete or Malvina were interested in putting their energy into it. So they said, go ahead. And so she and her husband um, started the the Broadside magazine out of their project apartment. The the name Broadside it comes from from the Broadside ballads of the 16th century, which were these song sheets that kind of came out with the advent of the printing press, and they were topical songs back then, <laughs> in the way back then. And uh, so they just kind of wanted to continue on in that in that grand tradition of the Broadside. So Pete. Pete Seeger, he he gave them a $35 a week uh, stipend, and um, they got a mimeograph machine from the American Labor Party, and they printed up the first issues, which they would have to transport out of their housing project in a in a baby carriage because they weren't allowed to actually have any businesses out of their out of their apartment it was against the rules so in that first issue they ha- they kind of put their manifesto out there and i'm going to read a little bit of the manifesto that they had it was um they said that broadside may may never publish a song that could be called a folk song but let us remember that many of our best folk songs were topical songs at their inception. Uh, Few would deny the beauty and lasting value of some of Woody Guthrie's songs, who said, uh, old or new, uh, a good song can only do good. Woody Guthrie was, he was hugely influential to ethics or the ethos of Broadside. Woody would print up these songbooks on his mimeograph machine and sell them for like 25 cents or pennies at, at his shows. And and so this was very much in the same aesthetic. It was very, very similar. So they had a few meetings with Pete Seeger and the folk singer um, Gil Turner. And Gil Turner, he was an MC at, at some of the local clubs in New York. And he started bringing in uh, folk singers into, into their apartment. The first round of folk singers that he brought in or um, Lynn Chandler, uh, Tom Paxton, Phil Oakes, and uh, a guy named Bob Dylan. And they they recorded the songs on a reel-to-reel and then 
then Sis would transcribe the the music and the lyrics. So so each issue had you know, actual sheet music in it, and it it also had um, news clippings about the the events that the songs were inspired by, or just you know some political or uh, story or. So the first, so the first issue, um, it included a song by um, by Sis Cunningham's teenage daughter Agnes Friesen, and Bob Dylan, Gil Turner, and Malvina Reynolds. So the aesthetic was really copy and paste. It it was all typewriter. Their teenage daughter also would draw some doodles for it too. So basically, like a zine sort yeah, of. Yeah, it was very similar to to a zine. It was like a fanzine. So yeah, it was it was very homey. So Bob Dylan, he was a he was a regular contributor to those earliest issues. In issue six, which was in late May of 1962, they published the lyrics to the lyrics and music to um, to Blowing in the Wind, and this was uh, this was several months before uh, it was recorded, and a year before it was even released. They they kind of described Bob Dylan as this kind of being shy when he would come in, and he would sing a verse or two for them to kind of get the music, and then uh, his girlfriend uh, Susie Rotolo would would <laughs> send back a copy of the lyric. So it was really small. The the family would would do the the collating. They had a couple of volunteers who who helped out. Um, and, and one of those volunteers that they had was uh, Janice Ian. And she she was an understudy of Malvina Reynolds. This She was at the age of 13. And uh, she wrote a song called Baby I've Been Thinking. And it later became you know, Society's Child, which was you know, a topical song about uh, an interracial relationship. And I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a number one hit. So yeah, so the, but the magazine was, was never really was never larger than a 2500 print run but established uh music uh musicians assigned on on major labels just kind of learned to follow the pages for for new material it was distributed at city lights bookstore in in california and and then in addition to like the, to you know, the mailing out or whatever so one of those songwriters or singers was uh, Nina Simone. She she was asked where uh, she got her songs from, and she replied from Broadside, of course. Where else? And she she published uh, Mississippi Goddamn in Broadsides before it was released, and that was in uh, 1964. And so 1964 is one of my favorite years for uh, just in, in reading through the, uh, the issues. It really became this, like, sounding board in the editorial section. So in January, Bob Dylan had, you know, had made it big and he wrote this like sprawling letter poem thing about trying to stay connected to his roots despite becoming famous. And it it took up several pages and it was a really big deal. In March of 64, so a couple of months later, there was this autobiographical letter from uh, Doc Boggs this is all in issue 41. So you have Doc Boggs and then 
immediately following that, there's a, an, another letter from Johnny Cash. And he just kind of ends it by saying, shut up and let him sing. He's talking about, you know, about Bob Dylan. Like everybody's talking about Bob Dylan. And really the, the letter from Johnny Cash is really, really sweet. I've seen that letter from Johnny Cash. I've read that. It's really good. Yeah, he sort of gushes about Bob Dylan and just sort of insults people and kind of puts everybody down for putting Bob Dylan down for his voice. It, it starts out with a, he, he says something about Bob Dylan slung his rope. I sat down and listened quick. Gravy from that brain is thick. So he kind of so whatever that means, Johnny. Johnny, Johnny Cash is very yeah, cool, yeah. but he's no Bob Dylan. He's those are the words. No. Maybe no, he's the I one guess. that wrote Tarantula. <laughs> Another uh, favorite issue that I had was, of course, in, in August of 1965, we have Electric Dylan. What they did in the on the pages of Broadside, they had a report from all of the folk festivals in that summer. Newport was a mess. Like you know, Joan Baez was you know saying you don't understand him, and uh, the crowds were hostile. Everybody just seemed to be you know totally upset. But my favorite favorite little tidbit from that report was from Alan Lomax. So. Alan Lomax, you know, the great you know, musicologist, he got into a fight with Bob Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman. Like Albert Grossman just kind of told him, you know, you, you know, you're uh, said some fine point about his panel discussion and, and Alan Lomax just punched him. <laughs> and so it kind of became this legend that was started in those legendary that, yeah. uh, folk uh, <laughs> brawls that we've been hearing so much about in the 60s. Yes, yes. So, so, so yeah, so Dylan, Dylan just kind of haunted the magazine. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was a big deal. So, so they often spoke about Dylan on the pages and I, but it never really became like a Dylan fanzine. It wasn't, it wasn't just focused on Dylan. Like, like one of the first Dylanologists, uh, Alan Weberman, he published this A.J. Weberman? Weberman. 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 Thank you. Thank you. So he published this really long interview about his re- research in into Dylan. And this is in, you know, 68. He, he, he had just published a pamphlet or he was going to publish a pamphlet. And so, so anyway, so, so yeah, but it was never, but even in that issue, like it had some really interesting um, songs. There was protest music out of um, Chile and um, a poem by Pablo Neruda. So it, that, that one issue alone just kind of shows there you know, that they, they weren't only about Dylan. So, but Dylan did eventually, he, he kind of dropped off from, from the pages of Broadside, but he eventually came back in 1971 with a song about George, uh, the political prisoner, uh, George Jackson. And in that same issue, they also included the lyrics to uh, Black Sabbath War Pigs. And they were really trying to get outside of that, you know, folk music box or whatever. But another kind of you know, shadow on it was the, the you know, was a Woody Guthrie, like in, in the whole background, like, you know, Woody Guthrie is, is going through the last stages of Huntington's disease and it was completely misunderstood by all of his peers. So here you have these people who like lived with him and, you know, and were, were friends with him and, and, you know, and he, they were inspired by him. And meanwhile, he's just, you know, they, they didn't understand the Huntington's disease. And, and so they thought he was a drunk and, you know, and, and he lived in the asylum, but, you know, it, eventually it was, they came to, you know, understand that, but he, he did contribute 
played a few songs. There were a few songs um, through throughout the years. So Malvina Reynolds, she contributed 70 songs um, in total. She was the, the top contributor, but the second contributor was uh, Phil Oaks. And he contributed 69. So he was right there with Malvina. And after Phil Oaks died, he... Like like Gordon Gordon was pretty close to him and and like Felix was really you know paranoid about the FBI and um and on the pages of of Broadside uh, Gordon wrote this whole thing about about how he blamed the the FBI for Felix's death and really like you know when it comes down to it like like Felix really did have a lot of political integrity and he was really um he was really going to be that successor to Woody Guthrie like more so than Dylan in a lot of ways just because he. He, he was focused on the people. And so, but, so the core of the magazine was this, was really countercultural um, to just document the, you know, the, the people's movements of the era. And I mean, really what better, you know, decade or decades to do that than in, in the sixties. So, so they would send, or, or when, when uh, Pete Seeger and Phil Oaks, when, when they traveled down to down South, um, they would collect the, um, the the civil rights songs and then kind of bring them back up. Mo Ash was really um, he was a big supporter of the of the magazine. He would sponsor whole pages rather than running an advertisement. Uh, so at the bottom of of certain pages, you would just see you know, this page is sponsored by Mo Ash. So they 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 did become uh, eventually end up recording some of the broadside songs, and those came out on a subsidiary of Folkways called Broadside Recordings. And the the records that were put out on Broadside they were just really unprofitable ventures, like poetry and like political Greek albums and the, and the broadside compilations. But one of my favorites is uh, from Reverend Frederick Douglas Kirkpatrick, which is uh, everybody's got a right to live. It's, it's really excellent. So as, as uh, broadside continued, you know, throughout the seventies and into the eighties, Sis and Gordon, they were in their fifties when they started the magazine and and so they were you know kind of getting on in years, but even in the eighties had some really great contributors. Uh, Lu- Lucinda Williams had some some of her first songs out on the pages, and um, and her first recording was was on Folkways. So so that connection between Broadside and Folkways was was, was pretty close. So at one point towards towards the end, like. Uh, Sis and Gordon asked uh, Pete Seeger for money, and he he just kind of like lamented the lack of growth in the publication. He was just like, you know, well, I'm I'm just disappointed that you guys haven't grown to you know support yourselves. But you know that was never really the point. It was the magazine was never seeking commercial success at all, and it is they didn't really need it. <laughs> so, and Pete Seeger is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> If, if, I think that was my thesis statement. <laughs> no, not at all. He's, he seems like a, well, a I good guy. The fact that they really focused on putting the music in there was this whole like start of this this grassroots movement that the folk movement became, where everybody would pick up a guitar and play these songs. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody you know wanted to to kind of spread the message however they could, for better or for worse. But really, probably led a lot to that blues revivalist in the late '60s, '70s, where all these people were finding all these great blues artists to come out that they hadn't heard ever before, and it was through. People that were probably in in this in the broadside, right? And it's weird. Like, are most of them 
are you can go and and we'll put some of them definitely on our website but you can see a lot of these right Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can still view a lot of them. The sing out, um, magazine, they have them available, um, on the website. It says it's for subscribers, but those first, the first ones through the seventies are, are available right now. So, so yeah, I think it was just like, like back then a song was only as good as who was singing it. And so it, it wasn't so much about like the, the personal, um, expression as it was about its like collective uh, value. So it, what was really surprising when we started looking for the broadside compilation, they're still available and they're really, there's really not appear to be a big demand for the, the, the actual records yes, for the actual records. Like the record itself even looked kind of homemade. It was, it was pretty, pretty cool. But, but yeah, they're still, still available. They're not too expensive. They're incredible. They're just, you know, Dylan is recording as Blind Boy Grunt. They're, they're very much like field recordings. They have the first compilation um, in addition to, to the New York scene. They also have a, uh, some, I think it's Irish or Scottish, <laughs> Scottish singer and, um, and some uh, civil rights uh, songs as well. So, so it does have that same, you know, folkways. Well, I quality. think they benefited a lot from Moash or giving, I don't know if he gold gave or sold to the Smithsonian folkways and, or to the Smithsonian. Yes. And the Smithsonian does a good job about making a all this music still available, yes. you know, and like how important that is because, mm-hmm. you know, it is really topical for that time. Now, some of the themes translate, and I think that's probably why Dylan was so much greater than a lot of the other singers at the time because his songs were never so suspe- specific that they didn't translate. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Phil Oaks, great as he was, was singing about like it's sort of like the podcast of the year, the political podcast of the year. Yeah, you know, you're singing yeah. about this very specific <laughs> thing that happened in the state, and yeah. The themes mm-hmm. may resonate, whereas you know I think that's important to get out there, especially in the movement. It's but it's interesting to look back and see which ones have really stuck mm-hmm. and which ones have kind of like they seem. Oh, that's an old protest song. Yes, yes, yeah, and it's it's really a historical document at the end of the day. Something that was so urgent and timely is it. It, it really reflects the era in a way that you can't get it <laughs> unless you unless you read it. Fantastic. Well, and you're gonna play some songs later when we do our, our song quote which we're about to do and we'll get to hear some of that so for that aj weberman did he so that article was in broadside by him yes yes he is um if you can go look up him online he's still around and he is absolutely out of his mind insane it's one of the first people that was sort of like a paparazzi where he went through bob dylan's garbage and he would collect his garbage so he has like he's like literally collecting Jacob Dylan's dirty diapers, all of the kids. Weird. Oh my god. And if you go online, there are also these. He would. uh, He and Dylan had phone conversations, and Weberman would record them, and you can go online and see these Weberman tapes. And Bob Dylan one time punched him in the face. Weberman said, well, I guess I probably deserve that. And he spent the 70s and 80s just trying to convince everybody that every single Bob Dylan song was about heroin. That's issue 93 that he's in. I'm excited to read that one. I like like reading about that guy. And they're fun. You could just pick random ones, and there's weird stuff in there. I mean, the the songs are kind of interesting, and it's got the chord and the music. 
music if you wanted to, if you're a guitar player or yeah. whatever and wanted to play. But like, they'd have weird like local stories that don't seem to have any interest. Like I, I was looking through one and it had like a story about a boat that turned over and a bunch of kids drowned in an area right by me. And it wasn't like no, conspiratorial yeah. or it wasn't like they were drowned by anything. It was just like, just well, this happened. is kind of sad. It's just this tragedy. You know. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. It was like, hey, folk singers, write a song about this. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And I think that's what he did. Yeah. It was kind of, you know, like murder ballads or, yeah. Like, Accidental death ballads. And that, that Doc Boggs, that's awesome. Do you know what song was... His song, Oh Death, is like one of my favorite songs of all time. What Do you know what song was on of his was on there? I don't know what song was on it. I was mostly looking at the letter. It, it was okay. just like his autobiographical letter. Great yeah. voice. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. All right. Well, thanks for being our first guest. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, and we uh, appreciate that. And it's time yes, to... Vocals by Maria. <laughs> <laughs> just, and it's time to do some songs. I've got the first song today. This is a, a groovy little tune that you may have heard, or you may have heard it in one of the 20 rap songs that have sampled it. Uh, this is Hard Times by Baby Huey and the Babysitters. Crazy town, I'm having a hard 
All right, uh, that song was Baby Huey's Hard Times. He is he's he's a, a cool story until the end. <laughs> yeah, not a great ending for him. Baby Huey was born uh, James Ramsey in Indiana, and he eventually moved to Chicago and started playing in these soul funk uh, R and B type bands. He uh, was a big dude. He was like three hundred fifty to four hundred pounds. He would dress in kind of Afrocentric gear, uh, had a big Afro, and just just a personality. And he had an amazing, amazing voice. And so he he got a lot of notoriety. And he kind of kind of stepped into his onstage personality. And that's how he got the name Baby Huey. Uh, it was named after his resemblance to the Giants cartoon duckling that wears a diaper. He would play around Chicago, and eventually he caught the eye of Curtis Mayfield. And Donny Hathaway, who signed him to their label or to Curtis Mayfield's label, Curtum Records, um, they didn't want the band, so that kind of you know created some some division, uh, which is a, a common case. So he eventually did record an album, and he had some recordings of his live stuff. It's it's amazing. It's a just a, a fantastic mm-hmm. record uh, from start to finish. He never got to see it put out, though. Unfortunately, hmm. he died. He had a bad heroin problem. Uh, there's a story about they were trying to help him kick it, and and he, he said he was clean, and then somebody came over to his house and, and tried to have some cereal, and they tipped over the cereal box, and his heroin kit fell out of the cereal box. Hmm. So he eventually uh, lost his battle with heroin and, and just general bad health, and he died of a heart attack before the re- any record got put out. The record eventually did get put out, and it was called um, the Baby Huey Story Living Legend, which is, I guess, ironic or or a, a statement about him because it was released posthumously in 71, and that was on the Curtum Records. And it, was a, it had some studio tracks and it had some live tracks. And he is really respected as being a grandfather of the hip-hop movement for a couple reasons. One, he had some pretty sick beats that were sampled all over. Just Hard Times Alone was sampled by Ice Cube, Tribe Called Quest, Ghostface Killa, The Roots, and, and many, many, many more. But also his singing style, he would kind of stop songs and just start kind of talking in a sing-songy way and use a lot of like the street vernacular and stuff like that. And it's, you know, like it sounded like an early, early rap. And remember, this is, you know, you're talking 1970. This is early, early stuff. And so he's seen as kind of a, a, a grandfather for that movement. Anyways, it's great music. He does a cover of uh, Sam's Cook, Sam Cook's A Change Is Gonna Come that is is one of my favorite songs. I probably would have played that, but it's like 10 minutes long. But the last six minutes is him just talking about his childhood and talking about ice cream trucks and, and, and just, you know, it's about bringing people together. But it is it's just so good. The Curtis Mayfield production is key on it, and he really kind of elevates his music. And you can tell... Curtis Mayfield had his hands all over that, as well as Donnie, Donnie Hathaway. So, great stuff. That's my song for this week. After he passed away, it was Shaka Khan kind of took the lead of the same band, and that's how she got her start. She she took over, like, his original band, The Babysitters, or took over the kind of Curtis Mayfield put-together band? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She took over. She was, a, she was a teenager when she took over to be the lead singers for The Babysitters and carry on after, after Baby Huey passed away. Awesome. 
that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. So Maria and I kind of picked this song. It was, um, as Maria started researching this, we really wanted to get one of the actual broadside records. And so this song is Happy Traum, and the name of the song is I Will Not Go Down Under the Ground. I will not go down under the ground Because someone tells me that death's coming round I will not carry myself down to die If I die, let me die with my head held high Let me die in my footsteps Before I'll go down under the ground there's been rumors of wars, wars that have been The meaning of life has been lost in the wind Some people are thinking that the end is close by Instead of learning to live, they are learning to die Let me die in my footsteps Before I go down under the ground I don't know if I'm smart, but I think I can see When someone is pulling the wool over me And if there's a war and death comes around Let me die on this earth, for I'll die underground Let me die in my footsteps Before I go down under the ground now there's always been people that have cause to fear They've been talking about wars for many a long year I've read all their statements, I've not said a word But now, Lord God, let my poor voice be heard Let me die in my footsteps Before I go down under the ground If I had riches and rubies and crowns I'd buy the whole world and I'd change things around I'd throw all the tanks and the guns in the sea For they're the mistakes of our past history Let me die in my footsteps Before I go down under the ground let me drink from the waters where the mountain streams flood Let the smell of wild flowers flow free through my blood Let me sleep in the meadows with your green grassy leaves Let me walk down the highway with my brothers in peace Let me die in my footsteps Before I go down under the ground Go out in the country where the land meets the sun See the craters and the canyons And the wild waters run Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, Idaho Let every state in the Union Seep deep in your soul Then you'll die in your footsteps Before you go down under the ground if that song sounds familiar, it's because it was recorded and written by Bob Dylan. Uh, he, he titled it, Let Me Die in My Footsteps. So the weird thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
It's Bob Dylan who was using the name Blind Boy Grunt Mm -hmm. because he'd been signed to a different record label at that point. Yes. And he's singing back up to his own song. Yes, he's singing back up to his own song. And that kind of goes along with the history of of Broadside, like like Blowing in the Wind. It was first, the legend is that it was first sang in public by Gil Turner. So he would just kind of hand over his songs for other people to sing. And that was off the first uh, Broadside Ballads, Volume 1, which came out in 63 on Broadside Records, like you mentioned. And I think Dylan wrote it because he he was watching some guys construct a bomb shelter. And then he, you know, it was right during the Atomic Scare. Mm-hmm. So it was all about how he felt about that. So it's a really, really cool song. Mm-hmm. All right. And what's your second song? So this is from the album Square Dance with Soul uh, by uh, Reverend uh, Kirkpatrick and the Hearts. The name of the song is Do You Have a Soul, Cindy? Do you have a soul sitting there? Do you have a soul sitting there? Do 
Okay, so uh, so the second song is by uh, it's from our collection, and it's uh, Frederick Douglas Kirkpatrick, and it's um, it's off of it's not a broadside record, but it's um, it's from his record Square Dancing with Soul, which was released on uh, Folkways in 1969. And today, the yeah, the name of the song is uh, Do You Have a Soul, Cindy? And so this was this was actually how how I I kind of came to broadside is is through this album. Um, I really, yeah, like the the square dance with soul. I I like square dancing and I like soul music, so I was really intrigued by this. And I don't know what audience this is really for this album. It's it, but it has this really great like reconciliatory, unified sound of taking this this great tradition of folk dancing of square dancing, and combining it with soul music. And it's it's a really weird album and. A, and it makes you want to dance, but <laughs> you got to have a... But you have to have somebody call out what <laughs> yes. you're dancing, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he's calling out all of the, um, you know, all of the the moves. And in the in the album, they, there is this stapled liner notes with the foot patterns and all of that. And so it was intended to be used for, for that purpose. So uh, Frederick Douglass... Uh, Kirkpatrick, he was, or Reverend Kirkpatrick, he, he was, he was a frequent contributor to Broadside, um, and uh, his album was one of those that was released on Broadside Records. Uh, um, Everybody's got a right to live. He also kind of went on to do some of these like coffee house things and um, alongside Broadside. So they would, since it was very much centered in New York, it, it had a lot of. Uh, it was local in many ways. And so he would do these coffee houses in New York City, which were just kind of like open mic nights. And um, everybody would you know, come out to him, and I, I really want to imagine what the like his his square dancing with soul was like in New York City in '69. That would probably have been a great, great time. So, well, and I think the bridging of like the yes. country music, you know, and the, the soul music, two yes. two it, two sorts of people that probably don't hang out. But it's I mean, he was a civil rights. Uh, yes. Yes. Figure. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I was. Yeah. Yeah. He he marched with Martin Luther King. I mean, he was. You know, he was there in the South, working in the in the civil rights movement, of course, at the time. And and so so yes, that that kind of like unified vision of that that could come about through music that is is really apparent in this yeah. record. It may not have been the most successful trend, soulful square dancing, but <sighs> that's God bless him so for trying. Unfortunate. So yeah. unfortunate. That would be wonderful. I'm going to close things out with my, well, with the, I'm going to close out the, the song, the song section here with a song that is also, as Ryan played, a song from Chicago from 1971. Uh, so this is going to be Howlin' Wolf with If I Were a Bird. Help, but Lord, I don't know. Ooh, 
That was Helen Wolf, If I Were a Bird, from his album Message to the Young. This was uh, one of two records he put out in 1971. The other one was the London Sessions that he did with Eric Clapton. This one is more like that Helen Wolf album 
the uh, the one right before this, the electric one that the full title is. This is Helen Wolf's new album. He doesn't like it. He didn't like his electric guitar at first either. That's the album title. It's uh, ridiculous. Um, it's a good album, I think. A lot of people sort of laugh at it, but I think this one's even better. Um, it has a little more psych sound in it. And the backing band is Rotary Connection. I think some of the people that were in Rotary Connection in Chicago. So it's got them in there. Good soul, psych, blues. The whole album, I think, is really good, even though it, it gets laughed at and doesn't get much much attention paid to it. I think it's great. That's all I had for that one. Hopefully everybody can get a chance to listen to that whole album. It's easy to find on YouTube. Well, I think the last thing we need to do is settle up on some trivia. So, Maria, will you play all seven tracks for Joe and I and the audience one more time, and then we'll see how many blind bluesmen we can name. Okay, so... Track one. Track one. Who's that riding? Hey, book of the Tell me what genre. Track two. My way. If I had my way, I would tear this old building down. Track three. I don't walk these blocks a lot. I go buy me some shoes. And that is why Mr. MacTell got the blues. Track four. Oh, ain't that pretty. Was in the spring, one sunny day, my sweetheart left me. Lord, she went away. Track five. together on this it's nice that we were able to get the affliction down to just blindness i think that helps (laughs) so i definitely do not know the the fourth one i don't know at all and i don't recognize six and seven okay do you know the first one i know that i've heard it but i do not think i could name this person all right i i know i know this one the first one is blind willie johnson okay which is uh, is one of my favorite songs john the revelator what do you got for two? Uh, Reverend Gary Davis. Correct. One of the best voices of all time. Yeah, I'm going to go with what Joe said. <laughs> <laughs> you got three. Blind Willie McTell with a song about Blind Willie McTell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Is the, name, is the name of the song have his name in it? Yes. It's McTell's yes. something, right? Yes. What is yes. it? Oh, uh, Mr. McTell got the blues. Okay. 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 Yeah, what was the one. what was the Gary Davis song? Uh, Samson and Delilah. Okay. Four, I do know, but only because Maria's been talking about him a lot, so I kind of <laughs> cheated. But that's uh, Doc Watson. Yes, oh, okay, yes, okay. Yes. Sitting on top of the world. I knew the song. That was the old Mississippi Sheik song. Dylan did that on one of those covers albums he did, like around 95. 
And avid fans of the uh, podcast will know that we've done, uh, Joe's talked about a song called Blind Willie McTell before. If you're a, you know, real big super <laughs> fan. Hi, <laughs> <I> Yetzko. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Number five, I just did sort of process of a blind elimination and I went with blind uh, Lemon Jefferson. Is that, yes. Is that right? Yes. It just sounded like it was the right age for his yeah. stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, that was Black Snake Mode. Do you know six or seven? No. I don't know six or seven either. What were six or seven? It was uh, Blind Blake, Early Morning Blues, and Blind Boy Fuller with mm-hmm. Trekking My Blues Away. Yeah. yeah, they're cool songs. Yeah. So that was a fun quiz. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Maria. This is great. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, you being a, a guinea pig for our first uh, uh, guest yes, uh, um, on our podcast. And I think it was an awesome topic. And yeah, I think it's, you know, as much as Joe and me love to do it, I think we, we love learning about, you know, mm-hmm. stuff too. So it's fun to have yeah, other why people we're, talk to that's about. That's why we're doing this. Um, yeah, if anybody else out, yeah. out there has a topic that they'd like to cover, you don't have to marry Ryan um, <laughs> to get on the show. It doesn't hurt, <laughs> but you don't have to. So just send us send us what the topic you want covered. All right. All right. And yeah. as always, go out and buy some records or go mm-hmm. to a show or do something that helps people that uh, make records or make music or play music or any of those. But it's important to go out there and, and be supportive of those institutions, especially in this day and age. And find us on Facebook. Uh, We have a lot of stuff going on there. Almost every day we put some stuff on there. Follow us on Twitter. Email us. Um, Just let us know what's going on. And please, if you like the show at all, rate us on on iTunes. Five stars would be really nice. But whatever you can do, we would love to to get get that up there so that more people can see the show. I'd take four stars. But five stars would be better. Out of how many? Uh. Like, I'll take four out of, like, 30, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Do they have a sliding scale on iTunes podcast ratings, maybe? All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you next episode. And I'm going to give you a little uh, sneak peek for next episode by saying, keep on trucking. Mm, (laughs) 10-4. Nice. It's going to be a Jerry Garcia show. (laughs) Good night. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.